Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middle of the week. 22nd of January, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along for the ride. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk is available to you via podcast every day, so if you miss anything, you can always go back and get it via the podcast or listen on demand at supertalk.fm. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Again, 601 601- Eight seven nine four three nine five. It's cold outside. We've been telling you that this winter you can skip the waiting room and beat cold and flu season faster with C Spire Health. Just download the app, the C Spire Health app, and schedule a visit to connect with a trusted UMMC clinician right from your phone. For more information and to learn more, go to cspirehealth.com. Glad to have you along. Don't want to bury the lead. Hey, Dad, it appears as if Mississippi State has a new defensive coordinator. I think Pete Thamel was the first to report it. You and others have been able to confirm the news that Zach Arnett, who most recently is in for the last oh, couple of weeks, has been the defensive coordinator at Syracuse, though never in a game. Prior to that, he was at San Diego State and ran Rocky Long's defense there, a three-three-five defense. You believe this to be true, right? Yeah, and I mean, how many times can you say the the guy you hired never gave up any points at his previous stop? Yeah. No, nobody ever scored not on Zach Arnett at Syracuse. Not going to be able to get that very often. Yeah, uh, that is a done deal. Mississippi State has already made that announcement uh, that he is going to be the defensive coordinator and linebackers coach for Mississippi State, which is interesting because it, it leaves an open spot. State only has nine on-the-field assistants uh, going at this moment. None of Only one of them has been officially announced, and that's Arnett. But there's okay. eight other guys available. Uh, but yes, the three-three-five will make its triumphant return to to uh, Davis Wade Stadium. Not since the days of Joe Lee Dunn has that defense been seen uh, in Starkville. Uh, and a very aggressive. It, it's interesting because you're talking about an aggressive offense with Mike Leach now, an aggressive defense with Zach Arnett. It looks like Mississippi State, if nothing else, next year is going to be a team that's going to be exciting to watch because they're going to try to take it to you on both sides of the ball. I mean, is it oversimplifying it when you talk about it being a three-three-five to call it a permanent nickel defense? Well, I mean, probably not. But that's what State was sort of running. You know, the previous two years with Bob Shoup, they were running a four-two-five. You know, and State's been running five DBs for the past couple of seasons. The State is. I was just thinking about this. You, you go back to 2015, and they've gone from four-three to three-four to four-two-five, now to three-three-five. And they made a lot of changes. Three-zero nine. That, that Zachy, was funny. We've you, got your number. That's a good one. That, that made me laugh. Uh, but yeah, State, State's done a lot of switching around. And the only thing I would wonder is, you know, we had talked previously about State maybe looking at maybe trying to move some defensive backs to wide receiver just because, you know, you've got some athletes over there and you want to make that change. But now I don't know if you can do that. 
because you're going to need the DBs. You're going to need that depth because you're going to be running a lot of guys in and out. But I, I think State's got some talent there. A guy like Marcus Murphy automatically comes to mind. You know, if you think about what Joe Lee Dunn ran years ago. Wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Oh, yeah. hold on a second. A week ago, yeah. you had Marcus Murphy playing wide receiver in Mike Leach's offense. But, but now looking at this defense, and I think, could he be like an Ashley Cooper type for Mississippi State uh, in a 3 3 5 defense? I think he's got the talent to do so. So, going to be interesting times. I'm, I'm looking forward to spring to see what the roster looks like, to see if anybody makes any kind of changes. All right. So, so let's play that forward just for a second. You say Ashley Cooper type. So. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily playing him as a linebacker, but he would he be kind of the hybrid. He that's, that's as the yeah, fifth would, DB that would move around to a lot of different spots. That's what you know what Jolie used to call the dog safeties. The uh, those okay. guys who were they weren't quite safeties and they weren't quite linebackers and they weren't quite cornerbacks, but they were versatile guys who could do a little bit of everything. And they were you know they, those two especially you know at the peak of that defense ninety eight ninety nine when you had Ashley Cooper and Tim Nelson out there. Those are guys that, you know, they were coming after the quarterback, but they were also dropping back into coverage. Murphy strikes me as that kind of athlete. Now, who would play the other side of that? That's something that I have to think about. And you're going to have to think about, you know, who are you going to turn from defensive end into outside linebacker? Um, you're going to have to, you know, take some of your, your rush ins and turn them into guys who can play with their hands off the ground. Right now, the first, one of the first things I thought of when I saw this was, boy, I bet wish, I, I wish Willie Gay had not gone pro. Because here's a guy who I think could be dominant in this kind of of defense, but unfortunately he's already made that decision to, to go to the next level. And, and good for him, and we wish him luck. But, man, I think he could have had a big uh, senior year playing this kind of defense. Well, and, and you bring up a good point, because when you think about three linebackers and you think about some of the losses at linebacker with Leo Lewis gone and Willie Gay gone, obviously Errol Thompson coming back, and I assume that he will kind of anchor the middle of that linebacker yeah. group. Is that think, right? Yeah. You would think so, yeah. Maybe yeah. A, a good a middle linebacker, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's been the reaction to, I mean, this is this is a name that nobody knew. I mean, right? Uh, I mean, we were, we were Which, talking about that Well, we said yesterday. yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. That they just sort of, you know, this is a guy whose name popped up. I'm not kidding when I say it popped up maybe 45 minutes before he was hired. That hmm. you started saying, hey, this name is, is in play. And and then next thing I know, uh, Joel Coleman and I had just wrapped up uh, some of the recording we were doing for the podcast, and we're looking at Twitter and go, "Oh, Zach Arnett." Let me let me make a quick text to see if that's true. It's true. All right, let me write a quick article, and then and here we are. So yeah, it, the, the the response overwhelmingly after we got off through the initial who was pretty positive. People like that he's an aggressive guy. When you look at San Diego State's. Uh, stats last season when he was the defensive coordinator, you can't help but be impressed. Seventh in total defense nationally, uh, one of the best scoring defenses in the country. They didn't give up more than, I have it right here in front of me, uh, 28 points last year. Nobody scored more than 28 points on them. Oh, so that's 2018. Uh, 23 points last year. They only gave up okay. 165 points in 13 games. And so I don't care really who you're playing. That's, that's pretty impressive. Um, you know, coach under Rocky Long, who was one of the better defensive minds uh, in the game today. There, there had been some talk that maybe Rocky Long's name would pop up. You know, he resigned from San Diego State. It looked like he was going to retire, but uh, we end up getting the protege there here in Starkville. So, yeah, uh, some yeah. strange yeah. movement with the San Diego State program. Rocky Long had been yeah. really successful. Sounded like the 
the administration wanted to make some changes there. He was not really interested in that. Ultimately, steps down. Had the defensive yeah. coordinator Arnett leave to go to Syracuse. Um, oh goodness, they the head coach now at San Diego State is the guy that used to be at Michigan, right? Uh, Brady Hoke. Brady Hoke. Yeah. So he's now the head coach. So some changes there. Uh, San Diego State's been a good program. Uh, it's been a good program for uh, for a bunch of years, especially under Rocky Long. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes. We'll talk more about this hire and what it could mean for Mississippi State as we move through the show this afternoon. Some basketball stuff to get to. Um, Borky says the biggest sports story of the day is Zion Williamson's return to the NBA tonight. You might want to debate whether or not that's actually the biggest story based on what happened in Lawrence, Kansas well, last yeah. night. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. What a scene. Yeah. I haven't seen a think piece uh, calling into the moral fiber of the state of Kansas today. I, a I'm sure fatal decision by Sylvia DeSuso, yeah, however I'm, you pronounce his name. I'm yeah. sure they're just working really hard on condemning the entire state of Kansas for a couple of kids doing stupid things. <laughs> yeah. I thought I was going to have to wait till Sunday for the Royal Rumble, but I got it last night. Yeah, you, you certainly did. Rippy, did you see that happen last night? Not live, but obviously saw the video and all that. Yeah, it was... Ooh. I, I, I'm like you, I didn't see it live, but all of a sudden you saw the clips that start, started popping up on Twitter, and I was uh, attempting to stick with the Ole Miss-Tennessee game as that was unfolding, but going back and forth trying to find that. Uh, the reaction was pretty strong. If you were watching the post-game shows or the Sports Center with some of the coaches and players that were on there, and that has continued this afternoon and throughout the day. You've actually uh, got an announcement from Kansas about Silvio De Sousa's future, uh, De Sousa's future. I'm sorry, and uh, Big Twelve is going to be involved. Kansas is doing an investigation. Uh, it's rare, Borky, that you see the offending party. And I know there's plenty of blame to go around, but just kind of on in, in like the litigious world that we live in, nobody admits blame. And yet you had Bill Self and Jeff Long, the athletics director at Kansas, immediately shouldering some of the blame for what happened in Lawrence last night. And when that happens, you can almost rest assured that you've got some pretty significant punishment coming. Yeah, I mean, I especially like this quote from uh, from Bill Self. What happened showed zero signs of toughness. It's a sign of immaturity and selfishness more than toughness. It's pretty strong from the head coach. Yeah, no, uh, no question about that. So Zion is returning for the Pelicans tonight. Certainly that is a massive story, uh, not just where we are, but uh, across the entire country in terms of the sports world. Ole Miss got smoked by Tennessee last night in Knoxville. Pretty strong uh, post-game press conferences. Uh, sorry, post-game comments from Kermit Davis. We'll talk about what some of those mean uh, for Ole Miss going forward. Trey Schapp from 103.7 The Buzz in Arkansas will join us a little bit later this afternoon. We've got this day in sports history coming up. And uh, Mississippi State, third consecutive home game. They have been really good in their last two, winning by almost 30 per game. They host the Arkansas Razorbacks tonight. So uh, a bunch going on on this Wednesday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Just getting started. We'll be right back. Let's jump to hoops for a few minutes. We'll start with Ole Miss, who played last night in Knoxville, and a game that did not go well for the Rebels. Ole Miss was down 19 at the half. 42-23. to They were outscored 31-25 in the second half. 
and lost by 25 in Knoxville last night. Rebels fall to 9-9 overall, 0-5 in the SEC. Uh, Tennessee, despite some limitations on their roster, just kind of continues to win. They're 12-6 overall and 4-2 and in conference play. Ole Miss got 18 points from Brian Tyree on 7-22 of 22 shooting. 11 points from Devontae Shuler. Did not have a good first half. Was a little bit better in the second half. Hit a three late in the ball game. Those were the only two double-digit scorers last night for Ole Miss. Blake Henson had four points on 2-11 of 11 shooting and 0-6 of 6 from behind the arc. K.J. Buffin played 29 minutes but had only four points in the game. Hadeem C. had only two points last night for Ole Miss. A bunch of other guys played uh, but really didn't contribute anything of significance. Rebels shoot 30% from the field, 20% from behind the arc, and the woes at the free throw line continue 5 of 11 from the stripe. We can get into Tennessee in just a second as John Fulkerson had a uh, career-high 18 points and 10 rebounds, double-double for him last night. But, Rippy, when you look at this Ole Miss team, it's it's kind of daunting when you see the schedule that's on the horizon. How, how has Ole Miss gotten to this point? I guess it's a combination of a lot of things. I mean, last night it was Hadim C. got in foul trouble quickly. I mean, he's a starter and he played 11 minutes. I don't really know how you do that. And then Bree and Tyree had a tough first half, and after that it was really just kind of non-competitive. Tennessee went right at Ole Miss inside. I think Fulkerson had 18 or 19 points, somewhere around there. And then yeah, once, the, high 18. once the game hit halftime, I mean, it was it, the second half was just a formality. I mean, it was over. Sure. So, I mean, it, to me it seemed as simple as that last night. Tyree had a tough first half. Yeah, he ended up with 18, but I think he had four in the first half when – you know, in the very brief moments the game was remotely close, but that was really just non-competitive. There is clearly frustration with Kermit Davis. You know, people go, oh, and 5 in the SEC, uh, not a, you know, whatever. It's the same coach that coached most of these guys to an NCAA tournament a year ago. Is it, I mean, is there that big of a difference from... Terrence Davis not being on the floor, is there that big of a butterfly effect from him moving on? I mean, I, I know that's part of it, but that can't be all of it, can it? No, I mean, there's there's some, you call it spade a spade, there's some recruiting misses, there's guys that really just aren't playing well. I mean, Devontae Shuler has been awful um, really for most of the year outside the first five games, has really struggled. They don't really protect the rim. I mean... It's not good. Is there any scenario where they can get better in season? You know, you, you talk about teams, good teams, getting better as the season goes along, but when you dig the kind of hole that Ole Miss has done, and I'm not talking about the NCAA tournament. I'm not talking about the NIT. I'm just talking about improvement and finding some wins in a league that is not as difficult as it was a year ago. I guess marginally. I mean, I guess you could see Blake Henson and K.J. Buffin turn into the players that in their sophomore years that – Kermit Davis thought they would be, but outside of that, no, I don't think so. Borky, I know you watched it last night as well. Did you have a takeaway? Um, it's kind of wash, rinse, and repeat, unfortunately, for this team right now. It's it's fascinating in a way that they just have nobody else that they can rely on in scoring. And you guys would have better eyes on this than I would. I, I was for the last few weeks, it's looked like offensively the ball is really sticking. And part of that is because they've got one guy that they can rely on 
uh, for offensive production. But there are times where the ball sticks so much they don't get into sets and then it leads to a bad shot in a possession and then you turn around and get beat at the glass the way they did last night. You give up easy buckets and then it spirals out of control. That seems like a fair summation. I think. Has all the momentum that Ole Miss basketball garnered a year ago gone away? I don't know. I mean, they're still recruiting better than they historically are. And I don't think playing bad one year after you had a good year really... Like, I don't think really momentum exists year to year. It could probably exist within the confines of a year, but... Not very. This team is not very similar to last year's team at all. So I don't think really one has any correlation with the other. But does it make a was... difference that this roster is mostly comprised of of his guys? And I don't think all the capital that he built up last year is not gone. But to answer that question, but just to kind of play devil's advocate, all the guys that are not performing are his guys. I mean, Schuler's been not great as well, and he's not a Davis guy. But Henson and Buffin and Okay. Hadim C. and Carlos Curry, these are all Kermit Davis's recruits. So when the, the answer is, well, we got to recruit out of it, it's not fair, but didn't you recruit into it? Yeah, I mean, it is his players. I mean, just like really most any other scenario, I mean, you recruit the guys, you try to develop the guys, and it's not working, clearly. I mean, I, I don't I, – I, I guess as opposed to what? Borky? That, no, I was just asking in general. No, that's get, that's so, the genesis of the question. Is Well, you don't really program build in college basketball anymore. So year two is like the old year four. There's so much roster attrition from year to year. Like I don't think like the, the insinuation that naturally he would still be working with a bunch of leftover parts, I don't think is true in modern college basketball. Right, yeah, and I that's the that's genesis fair. of the question, though, isn't it? Is how, how much uh, blame is... Not blame, but how much is to be rested on recruiting misses here? Uh, I mean, well, some of it I think is development related, and and you know the hope is that guys get better. I mean, you, you, Hadim C, for example, he was recruited by a lot of people, but this is a guy that had kind of bounced around, didn't stick at Virginia Tech, went the junior college route, and some of the programs that were recruiting him were looking at him kind of being a piece of the puzzle, not the piece of the puzzle. For uh, an Ole Miss team that had had front court issues uh, over the last couple of seasons, the hope was that he was going to step in and, you know, you had a lottery pick. I, I, I'm exaggerating there a little bit, obviously. But Hadim C. has not necessarily performed the way that you wanted him to. Sammy Hunter is young. And I think maybe the biggest frustration or the biggest disappointment is not seeing growth or development with Blake Henson and with K.J. Buffett. Yeah, I would agree with that, along with Devontae Shure playing very poorly for most of the year. Yeah, Is he hurt um, still? Is that lingering? or I don't know. I, I haven't heard that. You know, I, I mean, I guess I mean, that... He mentioned it about a, a three weeks ago, but like we haven't really talked to him since. Yeah. Um you know, there are a couple of other things that, that are in play here. There was a lot of positive conversation coming into this season about Luis Rodriguez. And you lose him over the Thanksgiving break, and he's out for the remainder of the year. And, and so, you know, probably would have helped them on the defensive end, 
Might have given him a little bit more depth on the offensive end. And Sammy Hunter's just young. You know, they, they, they like Sammy Hunter a lot coming in, but he's young and is maybe not developed as quickly as they wanted. Next year's roster will look different. Uh, again, because of Bork, or excuse me, Riffy's point just a second ago about all of the roster change that you have in, in college basketball. The Matthew Morrell piece is a, is a really big deal. I mean, you're talking about one of the highest-rated signees in the history of Ole Miss basketball, and they will need him to come in, and they'll need him to be good. Uh, Jarkel Joyner will be eligible next year after sitting out the transfer from Cal State Bakersfield that was a uh, super athlete coming out of Oxford High School. But there'll be a lot of other pieces, my guess is, between now and when they roll the ball out next November. And does that seem reasonable? We think so. We think some guys are getting processed. You lose one senior, two to four spots, something like that. I guess you already got one accounted for at least. So, yeah, I mean, it'll definitely look different. Yeah. But you would assume Jordan would take Tyree's scholarship, so I guess you got to open it up somewhere. But, yeah, I do think there will be roster attrition uh, this year just like any other. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi, you can text the show on the C Spire text line. The number is 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. That is the C Spire text line, C Spire, customer inspired. Brad says, is it possible for the first time in his coaching career, he was at a place where he could do some star chasing, so he signed a bunch of four stars, but in the process did not recruit shooters? I mean... Not no, I I don't necessarily agree with that line of thinking. I, I I don't think you I don't think in college basketball, particularly as small as your class are, you just sign a kid because he's a four star or whatever. You evaluate based on a certain style you want to play and how you'd like to execute it. So no, I I, I would think recruiting is still very much skill set based, more so than whatever star pops up on two four seven composite. Yeah. Uh, here's another message, guys. They are not that bad. Ole Miss could easily have won three of those games that they've lost. In SEC play. That's true. But they didn't. But they didn't. So they're sitting at 0-5 right now. Jason, I think tongue-in-cheek says, oh, please fire Kermit Davis. Please, a state guy, please. Yeah, Jason, not, not only is that not happening, happening, there's no way talking about that. And I think I've shared this in the past. Kermit Davis, among his fellow coaches, has a pretty incredible reputation for being an outstanding coach and teacher I'm just trying to figure it out right now. Got hoops tonight in Starkville, Mississippi State, playing its third consecutive home game. They smoked Missouri a week ago. They beat Georgia. Well, smoked them on Saturday as well. And now Mississippi State is a four-point favorite at home against the Arkansas Razorbacks, who are coming off of a home loss in an emotional game to Kentucky Saturday afternoon in Fayetteville. Bulldogs have played well of late, obviously. Is this... Uh, is this the biggest test? Is this the most "quote unquote" real test? Hey, Dad, of whether or not they have turned the corner as a team. It's a pretty real test. I don't know if it's the realest one or not, but this is a good Arkansas team, and and they're they're so good offensively. They shoot a lot of threes, and they play a, a very uh, different style of basketball than what you, you normally see. You know, they they don't. They have a bunch of different guys who can bring the ball up. But they don't have a true point guard. They have sort of a you know they can play almost like a five guard lineup at times, so that gives you the idea that state might be in, in pretty good shape with how physical they can play down low. And Reggie Perry and Robert Woodard might be able to find some mismatches. But like I said, this is also a very good shooting team for Arkansas. They've been playing well. I thought they had Kentucky on the ropes a little bit on Saturday oh, and just let it, you know, yeah, and just let it get away from them. Um, 
So it's a really good test. This is a team ranked 32nd, I think, in the last net rankings that I looked at. So a chance to to get a good win for Mississippi State. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I don't know if it's you know about turning the corner so much because for me the corner would be turned when you're two or three games above 500 in the conference. That's when you feel like okay things are going in the right direction. But can you turn the blinker on if you get a win tonight? Sure. Yeah. Um. You know, I'll be interested to see how some of those matchups play out. I mean, Arkansas has got a couple of deadly shooters in Isaiah Joe and Mason Jones, uh, who both have the ability to kind of go out and go for 30. Um, some of the pieces they've got are pieces that they had a year ago. And when you look at Eric Musselman, I had this conversation with oh, somebody over the weekend. I don't remember. Uh, anyway, kind of talking about the teams that are – having success in the SEC, and they've all got old guards, right? I mean, Arkansas is, what, three losses, four losses on the season, and Eric Musselman inherited those two guards that we were just talking about, and Isaiah Joe, who was all SEC as a freshman a year ago, and you know, Mason Jones, who's been around for a while, and they get the uh, the transfer back from SMU and Jimmy Witt. Um, you know, you, you look at Auburn, they've got – uh, Samir Dowdy, who is a, a fifth-year senior and a transfer. Um, you've got Tennessee, who had Lamonte Turner, and that kind of changed things for them. Kentucky, in terms of what they normally look like, old in comparison to usual. So the, the teams that are having success have got older, experienced guards. And then you look at Mississippi State, and Nick Weatherspoon's older, and he's experienced, but it kind of took him a little bit. I mean, it took him a couple of weeks' worth of games to get back into the flow, he has played a lot better over the last couple of weeks. And then, obviously, Tyson Carter certainly qualifies as an older guard. Yeah, for sure. And with Weatherspoon, I mean, I think you sort of have to expect that, right? He hasn't played a competitive game since January of 2019. So, or I guess maybe the first week of February at some point uh, of 2019. It's been a long time. And, and you can – coaches talk about practice and they, they simulate game-like conditions in practice, and I get that. And I've seen – you know, I, I watched a Mississippi State practice earlier this season. And, yeah, they're getting after it in there, sure. But it's just, it's not the same as a game. It just never is. So, you know, for him to take a few games to sort of get back into the flow of things isn't overly surprising. And you're right. I mean, he played his best game of the season on, on Saturday against Georgia. We had eight assists to, to two turnovers. That's an eight-to-two turnover margin, in case you're, you're not sure about that, Richard. And I you know, he defended defended well. You know when they had him out there on Anthony Edwards, looked really good. And, and the defense is what he's sort of been known for and what he's made his reputation for. But he, he was a, a reliable shooter that night as well. When when he was out and State was playing pretty well, I thought, gosh, when Nick Weatherspoon comes back and they can add another ten to twelve points a game to what they're they're already getting, they're gonna this is gonna be a dangerous team. It didn't work out that way for the first few games. It seems to have found its way into working these last couple of games. If that continues, yeah, this is going to be a, a team, Mississippi State, that's going to be able to make a push to get back into the NCAA tournament. Can you remember we're a week and a half removed from talking about Tyson Carter being in an awful shooting slump, but shooters keep shooting. In the last couple of games, he has come out of that slump and is making some shots from the perimeter. Yeah, and, and probably not too surprising, I guess, because he is such a he's such a consistent shooter through his time here. But he did go through that uh, through that slump, but he seems to have shaken it off. I think the decision to move him to the bench and let him play as the sixth man has been a, a good one for Mississippi State. You know, and kudos to Carter. Not a lot of people can take you know that kind of uh, you know demotion's probably not the right word because he's still playing a ton of minutes. But you know that kind of change. But he's taken it well. It's allowed him to sort of 
come off the bench with a, a little different perspective. And, and he, you know, these last two games have been two of his better games of the season. His game against Georgia was definitely one of his best games of the season. He was really, really sharp. Hey, Borky, how'd you like the uh, Pearl River Resort pick of the day and the bonus pick yesterday? You nailed it. Who? Yeah, but I almost didn't. I mean, Florida almost was down doesn't count, 10. my friend. Yeah, Florida was down 10 with 90 seconds to play. And if we're being honest, the fact that, uh, that the, the shot that, uh, Keontae Johnson hit at the buzzer didn't count may have been the best thing as we had what, um, had Florida plus three and a half, plus two and a half, something like that. It was tight, whatever it was. Two and a half, if I remember correctly. It was plus two and a half, and uh, they miss a three late and get a tip in from Kerry Blackshear to make it a two-point game and then nearly send it to overtime. Living on the edge a little bit, but that was a winner. And then uh, the the bonus pick was, eh, are we really sure that Missouri's going to beat somebody by 10, even if it is at home? Texas A&M steals one. They had to hang on for dear life at the end, but they did get the win, so that was good. That was good. Two other games happening tonight. In addition to Mississippi State, who's a four-point favorite at home against Arkansas. South Carolina plus 11 at Auburn. I am tempted, and we'll get to the Pearl River Resort pick a little bit later this afternoon. Tempted to really like Auburn minus 11, given the fact that they've lost two in a row and they are at home and the home is where they are really good. But South Carolina is so scrappy and so tough, and they're starting to make some shots. And the problem that I've got with Auburn is they don't make shots. They take a ton of threes. And if you ever get a night where Auburn is making those threes, they are a nightmare. They're just not making them. Not, not Especially not relative to the clip that they shoot them. So I don't know what to do with that. Then you've got Alabama as a 10-point favorite on the road against Vanderbilt. And Alabama just shot its first three of the game. I don't know if it went in or not, but they just let it fly. <laughs> Carry over from shoot around before the game starts. They do, they're, they're shooting them already. We didn't talk Alabama about this. Speaking of three-point shots, we didn't talk about Vanderbilt's streak coming to an end. 1,080 consecutive games. Vanderbilt, prior to Saturday against Tennessee had made a three-point shot in every single game since the implementation of the three-point line. They went 0 for 25. Think about that. Okay, you've you've made a three in 1,080 consecutive games. It's not, oh, you just kind of changed the way you play and you only took seven threes and you missed all seven of them. They went 0 for 25. The end of the game was funny. They kept, I see, I didn't know what was going on. Uh, I was at a place where the game was on, but it was on mute. And they kept showing the students, and I thought, you know what, a broadcast is finally talking about a, a gambling line of some kind. Maybe the over-under was about to hit. I don't know, because they kept showing crowd reaction to a missed three. It turns out it was just the record. And the, the poor Vanderbilt students that stayed behind to watch that bloodbath were it, like, I guess, I don't know how you know that. I guess maybe they something they talked about around there and made it aware in the arena. But to see their faces, every missed three-point shot as the game was winding down was so funny to me. It looked like they had a 1000 bucks on the line and nobody could hit the over. You know, 
I don't think I've got them handy. I was looking to see if I had one of my like broadcast sheets from a recent Vanderbilt game. I think it's in my office at home. But I have that note on there. I mean, like I had, you know, 1,077, 1,079 consecutive games. And I never mentioned it, but it was always there because it was in Vanderbilt's game notes, and so I just made a note of it in case you ever got late in a ball game and Vandy was sitting there 0 for 17. <laughs> you know, I don't know what the point is in the game where you bring that up. I mean, maybe at halftime when they were 0 for 13, you go, you know, Vanderbilt's never, never not made a three-point shot. They're 0 for 13 in the first half. Certainly you would expect that to change in the second half. And then you get to the 10-minute mark and they're 0 for 19, and you get to the four-minute mark remaining and they're 0 for 22. I guess it becomes a storyline at that point. I do want to ask you, speaking of that brawl last night, are you prepared to call something like that? Or do you, like, is it just going to come organically? Like, do you know what you're going to say when two teams start throwing punches like that? Down goes Frazier! Down (laughs) goes Frazier! That's when he needs me and my pro wrestling expertise. Yeah, channel my inner JR. There you go. Um... Yeah, I don't, I don't know that you can actually prepare for that. We'll talk more about that when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online, supertalk.fm. Good to have you along on this Wednesday afternoon. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. You can text the show, C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. Uh, Jason says, got to study some Jim Ross, Gorilla Monsoon, Gordon Soleil, or Soleil and Lance Russell Soleil. for fights, Cross. Yeah, if you, if you can get all those guys down, you'd be doing good. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Probably, uh, probably not. I could be the Bobby Heenan to your Gorilla Monsoon, though. We could, we could pull that off. Could you be the Dave Brown to my Lance Russell, though? No, nah, no. Nah, I, I, I got to play like the, the comedic heel a little bit. <laughs> All right, Borky. So, what was the question again? Since you are uh, our television broadcaster of the group, if something like that were to happen in a game you were calling. Are you prepared ahead of time? Like, do you know how you're going to cover it or what you're going to say, or do you just let it come to you? Because there's kind of there's three schools of, of way to go, ways to go about this, right? You've got the this is despicable, uh, just disgusting and horrible, and talk like somebody's being stabbed to death in front of them, and then the exact opposite side, which kind of get excited, like oh my god, punches are flying, and then there's the guy in between. Do you have any idea what you would do? No, and I haven't really thought about it, but I'm just kind of thinking, as you mentioned that, kind of through that end-of-game sequence last night. It's like, uh, you know, dribbling out the clock. Ooh, that's stolen. That's not going to sit well. Oh, what a block! Suso with the... Oh, and he stands over him. Oh, uh, oh. You know, I mean, obviously that's not exactly... I'm just kind of thinking out loud. But, I mean, somewhere pretty quickly you transition into... Just an incredibly ugly scene, you know, at the end of a rivalry game. I mean, I, I don't think you're doing play-by-play of a fight all of a sudden. Eli's retiring. Eli. Manning. As part of the fight? 
No, no, no. I'm just saying. That <laughs> he, he was sitting courtside and took one to the took one to the face, and so he's done. He, he doesn't want to be in sports anymore after seeing that horrible display. <laughs> I like. Could you imagine Richard trying to go Joe Buck when Randy Moss fake mooned the crowd? What was Richard it he said? Been. So that's the worst thing I've ever seen. That's disgraceful. I mean, yeah. that. <laughs> it's like yeah. Joe. He didn't. That's actually... That's the worst thing you've ever seen. My God, you've lived a pretty good life, Joe. Yeah, congrats, man. He didn't actually pull his pants down. Even if he did, still wouldn't have been the worst thing you've ever seen. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, you know, you just react to it. I've never scripted anything other than like an open for a football broadcast. So, no, I mean, it's not something that I like, you know, sitting in my hotel room the night before a game or the afternoon after shoot around before I go back to the arena and be like, you know, in the event that a bench clearing brawl happens with no time left on the clock, how will I handle it? And you just kind of try to be prepared for whatever's going to pop up and then react organically and hope that you don't say something stupid or something that you really regret. So, it's kind of how I would approach it. What about when a player grabs a stool and tries to slam somebody with it? Yeah, again, I think you react <laughs> organically. I mean, that picture, you've seen the still image, right? Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I'm sorry, Rippy. what was it you said a second ago? Eli Manning, kind of uh, relevant to Mississippi, retired, is retiring at a news conference tomorrow. All right, so according to Dan Graziano, ESPN, and Jordan Rainan at ESPN, NFL Nation reporter Eli Manning will hold a news conference Friday to announce his retirement. Anybody surprised by that? No. 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 No, I can't agree. I mean, it felt like... Say again? Probably didn't want to play for another team. Didn't want to pull yeah, the Joe Namath as a as, as a charger or whatever it was. Yeah. My, my guess is that representation for Eli, you know, fielded calls, had conversations, looked around to see what was out there, and it would have had to have been you got to believe a perfect situation. You know, a spot where it was clear that he was going to be a starter, that a team was going to be a contender, that they had a really good offensive line that theoretically would give him a lot of time to throw and there were some weapons. And there just aren't that many ready-made situations. And you got some other quarterbacks out there that aren't almost 40. Well, and he's... Performance-wise, he's pretty washed. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I feel like with all of those parameters in place, you know, if you've got a good offensive line and some playmakers on the outside, there were times where he looked like he could throw, still throw it. You want a veteran quarterback, but regardless, it's um, heck of a career. A couple of Super Bowl MVPs, the Hall of Fame vote can now commence in earnest. Not the vote, the Hall of Fame discussion about Eli Manning can commit uh, commence in earnest. And uh, wonder what he'll do going forward. I don't guess he has to do anything anytime soon if he's not so inclined. Wouldn't think so. Sports Talk Mississippi, one hour in the books. More coming up with you when we come back.
Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. You can text the show on the C Spire text line. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. It's finally cold outside. It feels like winter. And with that come the sniffles and flu season still kicking. This winter, skip the waiting room and beat cold and flu season faster with C Spire Health. Download the app, the C Spire Health app, and schedule a visit to connect with a trusted UMMC clinician right from your phone. They can treat tons of non-emergency conditions and symptoms like fevers, aches, coughing and sneezing over uh, just a video chat. No insurance is required. They can even send needed prescriptions to your local pharmacy so you can avoid the waiting room and all the germs. Plus, for a limited time, visits are just $29 for a C Spire customer. That's likely less than your current copay, even if you've got health insurance. So you can save a little bit of money. It's incredibly convenient, and you can learn more online at cspirehealth.com. cspirehealth.com, cspire, customer inspired. All right, Borky. You have been pining for this. You have been waiting for it. You've been counting down the hours, the minutes, the seconds. Zion will make his debut tonight. ESPN, 8.30 Central Time against the Spurs. It was such a big deal that ESPN flexed this game off of a regional broadcast, the the, the Pelicans TV network, to a national game. What are you going to see tonight? Yeah, and they took off two playoff teams. I mean, Denver and Houston. Uh, so... Huge deal. Everybody's talking about it, and deservedly so. I mean, they're claiming there's no minutes restriction. They're actually going to start him tonight as well. Ooh. I mean, he's they're probably going to play him in spurts, so don't expect like 32 minutes tonight or anything. It'll probably be five, six-minute spurts, but he's going to start, and he is full cleared to play. What's fascinating about uh, the makeup of this team and then inserting him in the starting lineup is he will not be a back-to-the-basket big. I was telling Rippy this morning, on top of him being just six foot six, or they say he's grown an inch, so he's six foot seven now. Um, okay. That's not his style of play. They'll have they have a true, they have two true centers, one of which starts, of course, and Derek Favors, and then they'll have Zion at the four. But Brandon Ingram's kind of a guy; he's a slasher, and Zion's a slasher. They will generate possessions for him in pick and roll settings, but they will. They do this set, and they do it for Ingram, and they're going to do it for Zion as well, where they get him going at the three-point line. And once he gets downhill, his handles are so good for a guy his size, he's really hard to stop. So I wouldn't expect like them just throwing the ball down to him at the low post. They're going to give him pick-and-roll settings and uh, call sets for him to drive and slash. Even though he's 280 pounds, that's more of his game. And that's what you can expect from him tonight is actually driving the basketball is what he's best at, and his handles are extremely good for a guy that size. And he's going to start and play. No minutes restriction. So it's full go. Pelicans are 8-13 and 13 at home this year. They're 17-27 and 27 overall, which sounds bad. I mean, 10 games below 500. That's 17 and a half games out of first place. But first place doesn't matter right now. What matters is eighth place. And, I mean, you can – you can really debate how much it actually matters. Right now, the Grizzlies are in eighth place, 14 games out of first, three games below 500. But it would be a big deal if it would be a big deal for the NBA in terms of television numbers if the Pelicans could get a healthy Zion, 
keep him in for the rest of the way and somehow sneak into that eighth spot in the Western Conference to get into the playoffs, they're actually playing better. They snapped Memphis's seven-game winning streak on Monday, and they won six out of their last ten. Is it a New Orleans team that, even though they're ahead of schedule, now becomes a possibility for the playoffs? Um, Nate Silver actually gives them a 60% chance, which is the far and away best shot from eight down to the bottom uh, to make the playoffs. With the way okay. they've been playing lately, they're finally healthy. I mean, that 17-27 and 27 features a 13-game losing streak before the new year. And they've been playing significantly better basketball lately because they're finally healthy. I mean, there were nights where all three of their true centers on roster were not available. So they were playing Josh Hart, who's six foot four, at the five. I mean, that actually happened this year. Uh, so they're finally healthy in playing better basketball now and adding a guy like Zion, especially when their schedule is the 29th toughest in the NBA in the final stretch. I think Memphis is number four, and everybody else ahead of them's schedule is significantly tougher than the one that they've got. They play more sub-500 teams it's like ten more sub five hundred games than the opposite down the stretch. So All right, let me let me let me throw this at you. And and maybe Borky less at you and more at Haydad and Rippy and get your reaction. Uh, I'm gonna kind of throw some things out there and then make a statement and get your reaction to the statement. Two best teams in basketball are the Bucks, led by Giannis at thirty nine and six. They're eight games clear of Miami in the East in the number two spot. And the Lakers who are three and a half clear of the Clippers in the Western Conference. The storylines in the NBA are Giannis is fantastic, the Lakers with LeBron and AD, the Clippers with Kawhi and a really good roster, and then Luka Doncic is great in Dallas, but Dallas isn't necessarily a story. James Harden shoots a million threes. Really, really good player, volume scorer. He was one of seventeen on Monday night from three. Oklahoma City's better than people thought they were going to be, and the Celtics maybe are interesting, but not that interesting. So outside of Giannis and the Bucks, Utah has won seventeen of nineteen. Okay, that's red hot. Who's the best player for Utah? Donovan Mitchell. Okay. Yeah. He is exceptional, too. Tell me that I'm wrong about this. Donovan Mitchell is not a household name. Definitely not. Nope. I would say he's pretty close at this point. He's close, but he's not there yet. I guess depends on the, I guess it would depend on like how much NBA you watch. That, that's exactly what I'm getting at. That's what I'm getting at. So for the most casual of NBA fans. I've watched very little NBA this year when I rattled off those storylines. Everybody knows Giannis. You know James Harden. You know the Lakers with LeBron and and, and Anthony Davis. You know Kevin Durant's probably hurt. Hey, I, I, okay, there's a lot of words to get to the point that I'm making. The NBA needed Zion Williamson needed him to come back, and now needs him to be good because it gives another storyline and it adds a player that everybody, despite the fact that he has never played an NBA regular season game, 
everybody, casual or diehard, knows the name Zion. It's hard to disagree with that. I mean, the the league is seeing a, a ratings, a significant ratings drop, and part of that is, as you mentioned, Kevin Durant's injured, Steph Curry's injured, Clay Thompson's injured, Kawhi plays every other night, maybe because of load management. LeBron James is great, but it's his seventeenth year, so been there, done that with LeBron. He's not compelling anymore. He's still the greatest of all time potentially, but he doesn't make you watch him like he used to. Anthony Davis is hurt pretty frequently. Giannis is stuck in Milwaukee. It's a league that is lacking compelling storylines. And this brings an injection in the worst way to that. Hey, Dad, will this cause you to watch tonight? Uh, Well, I'll be... uh... At the hump, so I okay. Well, okay. If, if Mississippi State if did not home, have a basketball I would, I would, game tonight, I take a look. I take a look. Yeah. Okay. Rippy, you're an NBA fan. You're going to watch. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm just and getting Morky, to You're a Pelicans scouting. fan, so you're obviously going to watch. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, the basketball fans in that city who have not jumped on the bandwagon seven years ago, like I did. Um, they deserve this because that was a franchise up until this offseason that by its ownership and local leadership was treated like a redheaded stepchild and run terribly. And both of their stars, Chris Paul left famously, Anthony Davis burned it down on the way out, as he should have. They weren't doing anything for him. Uh, they finally get a front office that matters and an owner that cares and a roster that actually makes sense in a future that is bright. And now you add this kid those people that have been through all of the franchise's misery, which has been its entire existence, basically, deserve this day so much. In fairness, Richard, though, if I did watch it, would just to be to get a scouting report of what he'll look like as a Laker in 2024. Borky, that's. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Anthony Davis will be in Chicago next year, and now the Lakers don't have any uh, picks yeah, to get still, anybody He's else. still pushing that narrative. Mm. Hey, Anthony Davis is pushing that narrative. Uh, I think not. think I've got an answer, Borky, to your question about the uh, the three-point streak at Vanderbilt and why Vanderbilt students knew about it. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. We're glad to have you along this afternoon. All guests on Sports Talk Mississippi appear on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Our good friend Trey Shap, one state to the east or maybe the northeast, if you're in South Mississippi, uh, from 103.7 The Buzz in Little Rock. Trey, what's up, my man? What's up, Richard? How are you? I'm great. Let's start with basketball, and then we'll circle to football in a second. Mississippi State hosting Arkansas tonight. Arkansas, unbelievable environment on Saturday against Kentucky, but it's not the first time that's been the case. Are are basketball fans in the natural state fully on board with Eric Musselman and this Razorbacks team? No, they're they're as much on board as they can possibly be. Obviously, they'd like to have a big big man in the middle, but... Uh, without that, yeah, they're 100% on board with what Eric Musselman's been able to do in his first year at Arkansas with basically a, a guard, small forward lineup. 
I was having a conversation with the coach in the SEC last week, and you know he was talking about teams that have success. They've got old guards, and I guess there's something to that. Eric Musselman got to be pleased, you know, from a roster standpoint once he got in to realize that okay, this Isaiah Joe guy can play, and uh, this Mason Jones guy can play. What are they doing different for Eric Musselman than they did with Mike Anderson a year ago? Well, I think it's more the the system that Eric Musselman has brought in, and he's adapted to what he has. Uh, I think Mike kind of struggled uh, with that, and they're they're in your face defensively. Um, their practices are uh, like an NBA practice. He brings that NBA uh, grind to the college game, and that's something that uh, they have not had in a while, um, if ever. And so I think that's where he's able to uh, break things down. As soon as the game is over, Richard, they get in the locker room and they've already got their scouting report for the next game. So whether win or lose, they put the game behind them. I mean, they put Kentucky behind them right after it happened. Of course, it's tough to put that game behind them, but they put it behind them as soon as that game was over. I don't know what it Trey, this matchup tonight, how much of a challenge is this for Arkansas because of what you mentioned a second ago, the lack of a big man when it's a, a heavy guard lineup and you look at Mississippi State with the way Reggie Perry's playing, who's just kind of a, a matchup problem for everybody, and then Woodard and Abdul Adu, who's not as big of an offensive threat but pretty good player on the defensive end. How big is the challenge tonight for Arkansas? It's a huge challenge. Uh, obviously, going on the road in the SEC is tough, but then you – you go into a, a tough environment in the hump in Starkville and and not have a big man and have to go up against bigger guys, then it's it's a challenge. Now, Arkansas will try and do things a little differently. They might put five guards on the court at any one time. Um, so Eric Musselman likes to say, well, yeah, you know, but the other team has to adjust to us too. So if you put five guards out there, what, what does the other team do? Do they try to lob it into the post? Uh, do they try and you know, put the put the defender on the back and, and play with their back to the basket. Um, there are a lot of options there that, that they have to try and do. And, and obviously, blocking out and rebounding it when you're big and you're going up against a quicker guy, you've got to be a little more finesse, I think, Richard, than, than what you normally would be where you can bang with bigger guys um, just because of the height advantage. I think you have to, you know, play with a little more finesse when you're going up against smaller guys. Just one more kind of quick thought on the atmosphere Saturday and kind of the build-up to that. Arkansas and Kentucky play on a Saturday at 3 o'clock in Fayetteville. The gym's going to be full regardless. I mean, we've seen that in years gone by. But the games before that, when it was full, um, you know, kind of regardless of who's coming in, I think we all know that Bud Walton, when it's right, is as difficult a place to play as there is. Arkansas fans still take pride in that, even though they kind of stepped away for a while, don't they? Oh, yeah, they do. And, and they take pride in the fact that it was a sellout, that every Saturday game from here on out the rest of the season is a sellout. Um, there was a lot of buildup to the game against Kentucky. Usually, back in the days, back in, you know, when Arkansas came into the to the SEC, that Arkansas-Kentucky game was on Super Bowl Sunday. You had that game, and then, You'd go to your Super Bowl parties if you were in Fayetteville. That's what you did. Or you would find a TV and you would watch the game, and then you'd go to a Super Bowl party. Um, so they're slowly getting back to that. But I've said it all along, Richard, for, for SEC basketball to be good, you've got to have Arkansas and Kentucky at the top. They, they both have to have good teams. 
And I think that's the benchmark in the SEC is when both of them are good, then the SEC is really good. Yeah, uh, I think I generally speaking agree with, with that sentiment. It's kind of like Tennessee and football. You, you feel like as a whole the league is better when a program like Tennessee is at or near the top of the East. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you've got to have those blue bloods, if you will. And I know that Kentucky's blue and everything, but I'm talking about the programs that have been there that have tasted success. Um, obviously, Florida's had its national championships back-to-back with Billy Donovan, Arkansas. Had a national championship in 94, runner-up in 95, went to the Final Four in 90 with uh, Nolan Richardson. So you look at all of Kentucky's that they've had. So, yeah, I mean, in Mississippi State's run to the Final Four uh, when they were there in 96 with Florida. Uh, just you, you wish that the SEC teams would, would get over the hump, those that haven't been able to taste it. And Auburn last year, you know, getting get to the Final Four. But um, yeah. you just think that if, if more can do it, then, then it helps the other teams out in the SEC. Trey Schaap from 103.7 The Buzz in Little Rock on your radio at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Trey joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Switch gears to football for a second. Sam Pittman's hire uh, drew mixed reaction, uh, I think, from Arkansas fans. Certainly drew mixed reaction from the rest of kind of the college football world, specifically in the, the Southeastern Conference. With the month or so to kind of process this and look at the staff that he's put together, where are Arkansas fans in terms of this hire and kind of how it stacks up to some of the other hires that have been made? I think they've kind of set, stepped back and, and looked at it, Richard, and they're they're okay with it. Uh, obviously, with any hire, including Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach uh, at Ole Miss and Mississippi State, respectively, you got to wait and see what they do on the field. Now, others come in with more accolades, than what they had uh, before, but Sam Pittman not being a head coach, the other two uh, being head coaches before, even in the Power Five, um, you have to look at it and say, okay, well, Sam Pittman surrounded himself, A, with Barry Odom, a guy who was a head coach in the SEC, and Kendall Browse, an offensive coordinator who has done it uh, at Power Five schools, two of them, Baylor and Florida State. So I think that the Razorback fans have looked at the staff that he's built, looked at the recruiting that he's doing, and they know how good of a recruiter Sam Pittman is. The only thing now is he used to be able to go into a home once a week. He can only go into a home one time now on a, on a given athlete. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how the recruiting changes for him. I think the more chances he has to get the kids on campus, the better uh, the chances of getting those kids will be. I thought the Felipe Franks thing was weird. Uh, kind of on on multiple levels. Uh, maybe a little interesting or a little curious that that's where Felipe Franks would go, but also a little curious that that's who Arkansas would want to bring in. Do you like the addition of Franks to the to the quarterback room? If he can stay healthy, I, I think so. I think uh, you look at a KJ Jefferson, a John Stephen Jones, and a, uh, a Lindsey in there right now. That's all you had, so you had to bring someone in. You knew they were probably going to go the. Uh, you know, the transfer portal and find someone, and that's what they did in Felipe Franks. And you got to look at what he did at, at Florida under Dan Mullen. He just got better. So if Kendall Browse can change, or I'm not saying change anything, but just fine tune him, then I think Arkansas could be a team that, that might taste a little more success this year than what they have in the past few. Trey, do you think Arkansas offensively is going to look like what Baylor looked like? I'm not saying personnel-wise, but you know, 
early 20 teens when they really had it rolling? Is that kind of the play calling style you're going to see, or is it going to be something different? Well, I think that's what they want to do, but I think they're going to have to look at the talent that they have because they don't have that Baylor talent right now. Um, they've got some good playmakers, but they've got to get an offensive line in there. Um, they've got Rakeem Boyd back that's going to transfer from Arizona State. Uh, running back that, that is very good, from what I understand, um, who had to sit out this past year because of the transfer rules. And they've got talented wide receivers. You look at Traylon Burks and, and uh, Trey Knox. I mean, very, very good receivers their freshman year last year at Arkansas. Some of the catches they made um, if you've got Felipe Franks throwing to them, you add in a Mike Woods, and uh, who knows what will happen. But I just don't think that we can expect, Razorback fans that is, can expect to see what Kendall Browse had at Baylor because they just don't have all of the athletes. They're not that deep yet, and I think that's a big issue. We'll see how it all shakes out. Certainly going to be interesting to watch. You know, similar to, I think people are fascinated to see what Ole Miss and Mississippi State are going to look like. Fascinated to see what Arkansas is going to look like. They try to kind of dig themselves out as well. Trey, always enjoy the visits. Thanks, my friend. You better, Rich. Y'all have a good one down there. Trey, uh, Trey Schapp from 103.7 The Buzz in Little Rock. Covers the Razorbacks. Talked a little hoops and a little football with him as well. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Trey joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. What did you guys make of the uh, the conversation with Trey Schaap from the Buzz in Little Rock? He joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line. And by the way, you should check that out. You hear me say it all the time, favorites.com. Go to that website. Don't just hear that. Check out the website. If you're not a Farm Bureau member right now, it takes almost no time at all. Favorites, F-A-V-E, rates.com. When you go there, you just type in your zip code, and then it will give you the option of getting an auto insurance quote or a property insurance quote, or you can bundle the coverage and have a chance to save money by bundling all of that coverage together. You'll get a quote from uh, a local agent in your area, probably somebody that you already know, that you see, that you do business with, that you bump into at church or at the ballpark or at the grocery store or at games, whatever it is, because every st- uh, county in Mississippi has a local Farm Bureau office. Check them out, favorites.com. That's why we say go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Basketball side of things first. Hey, Dad, let's start there. The matchup that we were talking about earlier, Arkansas being a smaller team against the size of Mississippi State, Feels like a little bit of an advantage there for the Bulldogs. Yeah, that's probably why they're they're favored in this game. But that said, you know, Arkansas, you know, that's a that's a a problem they're probably going to have all year long. I mean, most teams in the SEC are going to be bigger. They're going to have that post presence that Arkansas just doesn't seem to have as much of. But they've done a good job so far of not making that a huge uh, issue for themselves. They come out tonight and they're hitting three pointers. It's going to negate what State can do down low. Uh, so that'll be an interesting matchup. I do think it gives State an advantage, though, especially with Perry's and and Woodard's ability to to sort of pass out of the post, and Woodard, you know, the, his ability just to do a lot of different things. But Perry is such a good passer. When you get him the ball down low, if he feels a double team, he can get rid of it, and that'll open up some shots for Carter, for Weatherspoon, and for Woodard. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, that's a fascinating matchup. I don't, I don't have a great feel for it either. Um, I thought I Mississippi State, State though. 
I think it's because I, I think it's because of state. I don't think you have a, a true idea of what Mississippi State is at this point. Yeah, it's almost like you you kind of want to ride the wave of momentum and just see how long it lasts. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Because, I mean, dominant performances in their last two games, and Missouri's not great. They're not terrible. Uh, and you beat him by 30. And then Georgia at times this year has been pretty good. Now, Georgia has also shown that they are occasionally susceptible to being blown out. But you've got a lottery pick and maybe two more pros on that Georgia roster right now. And Mississippi State beat them by 30. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how this one goes tonight. Six really tip. Yeah, that's uh, coming your way before too long. Rippy, on the, the football front, the uh, the reaction that everybody else had to Sam Pittman was not overly positive. And in terms of grading the coaching hires in the offseason, yes, to the point that Trey made, nobody's coached the game yet. you got to see how it all shakes out. But Arkansas has been kind of rated a distant last in terms of the hire. He's done a pretty good job putting a staff together. Do you think Arkansas fans have just convinced themselves because they don't have any other choice that this was a good hire, or is it potentially a good hire? Yes, and it pro- it could be. I mean, I guess you never know, but I mean, Ole Miss just saw this movie play out. So... I mean, you, I guess you never really know, but do I think they've convinced themselves? Sure. Yeah. Every faction of every crazed SEC fan base, you, I don't know. I mean, you could hire Buddy Stevens in this state and somebody would... Prop it up as... Yeah, and that's not a... I don't mean that as like a knock on Buddy Stevens, but like someone from like, you know, like off the wall, I guess, that you're not expecting. Like, people would talk themselves into it. Yeah. Are we overselling the idea that he hired two good coordinators? One, because we just saw where that still can't work out. But, I mean, how many SEC schools do not have really good and qualified coordinators? I mean, seriously. So, when it's, well, you know. Wait, Dave different... Odom's good now. But let, let, let's Barry. not pretend. Yeah, him too. <laughs> no, he's great. Dave Odom I, I mean, was a hell of a basketball coach. He was a good coordinator and, and not a real big guy, but. The reason he Dave lost Odom. his job at Missouri was he not like a leprechaun, Borky. Dave Odom did. <laughs> you remember that? It was the most fitting coach for Wake Forest ever. Oh, see, I had to uh, Google images who that was. Yeah, that's before Where my time. Dave Odom. Man. Where all did Dave Odom coach? South Carolina. He was at Wake Forest, wasn't he? That yeah, he coached Tim Duncan at Wake Forest. He was that's at. It. Wake Forest from seventy six to seventy nine, then ECU to from seventy nine to eighty two, then Virginia as an assistant for seven years. Went back to Wake Forest from eighty nine to oh one, and then was at South Carolina until two thousand eight. Yeah, don't you think he looks a little like a leprechaun? Yeah, you could sell that. Okay, maybe he just looks like a demon. Like he was, he looked like the Demon Deacon. <laughs> God, that's terrible, but accurate. Yeah. I'm sorry. I have no idea what you read. Oh, uh, Barry Odom, defensive yeah. coordinator, Arkansas. And he was good. He didn't get... Does not look like the Demon Deacon. No, he does not. He actually looks like a, a normal human. Um, but he didn't get fired from Missouri for performance so much as it was apathy. They had a real apathy problem, and 
I mean, he was winning games but not elevating. Still a very good coach and a very good defensive coordinator. But, I mean, look across the SEC. Everybody's got a really good coordinator. Everybody's got a really good offensive mind. And also, by and large, a head coach that has been there, done that before that you can rely on. Even South Carolina, who might be firing their coach after this year, at least if you look at their staff, you think, well, Will Muschamp was at Florida. He's been a defensive coordinator at a lot of places. That hiring him made sense at the time, and him being the head coach there makes sense. Across the SEC, everybody's got a good offensive mind and a good defensive mind. That's why it's the SEC. Suffice it to say, you are not sold on Sam Pittman in Arkansas. Uh, And, hey, I may be wrong. I've absolutely been wrong before. It won't be the first time. But it just it doesn't make – it felt like a panic move. There were names and guys out there that – I mean, this is a risk, right? A journeyman offensive line coach. Yes, he's hired good assistants, but he's still the head coach of this program. And there were names and guys out there who had been head coaches – that would have taken your job, and they just didn't. It's bizarre. It may work out, but I mean, we tried. Houston Nut was available. <laughs> he wanted it too, and then one state over, uh, a former Arkansas coach just got a job as well. He was out there. Come on now. I know. I, I know. But still, it. Come on. I, I am. I'm interested to see how it works. I just we just got through as Rippy said. I mean, a very similar thing. Brilliant offensive mind, brilliant defensive mind, head coach that probably shouldn't have been there, and it didn't work out. It's the SEC, yeah. man. You need to be great at all three spots if you want to win at a high level. Anything else jump out to you from um, what Trey had to say? Doesn't sound like he loves Felipe Franks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, given their options internally, they had to go get somebody. I mean, we use the term best available when we're talking about the draft and and recruiting all the time. I mean, maybe he was best available. And that's, I mean, who else is out there? Newman wasn't going there, obviously. The, The market is really, really slim this year. Yeah. Yeah, you uh, you may be onto something on uh, on that front. Um, poll question that's out there. I know you, it's been out there for a while, Borky. It's pretty simple, right? Uh, which one? We've got the first one today. Was Mississippi State's new defensive coordinator hire is a home run? Good, not great, or bad? And as you can imagine, bad got very few votes, but it's about fifty fifty. Home run, good, not great. Okay. And then there was a Zion Williamson question as well. Yeah, uh, most of our audience does not share my excitement level, but you know, a good third of people are going to be watching and paying attention. That's so incredibly disappointing to you, isn't it? It breaks my heart. But I have a feeling that most people in the listening audience, it, like, as you mentioned, at least know who the kid is. Oh, absolutely. ESPN has made sure of that ever since he was in high school and dunking. Well, yes... There's but, so much more to his game than that, and people will learn tonight. But anyway. Oh, I completely agree. I just meant that like they were showing 16-year-old highlights of him dunking oh, on you know, kids that I matched up against. I'm like, sure. It's been uh, out there small for a Small-town private school kids. Yeah. like e- They e- pick e- one dude to just jam down your, like 
jam into your face every year, I guess. It, like Trey Young a couple years ago, almost felt bad for him. Sure. He, he sneezed, ESPN. Sick Instagram. Um, <laughs> It's true. He's the exception, not the rule. But college basketball did more for Zion Williamson than going directly to the NBA ever could have done. And specifically ESPN as the primary distributor of college basketball via televisions did more for Zion Williamson than going directly to the NBA ever could have done. Sports Talk Mississippi. This moment in sports history presented by Acoustic Wave when we come back. Back down. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on Wednesday. Glad to have you along this afternoon. Mississippi State Hoops tips off in an hour and six, hour and seven minutes. So that's not long. Hey, Dad will be leaving us shortly. It is time right now for this moment in sports history presented by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. You can get wave therapy to treat many orthopedic conditions, including heel spurs, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, shoulder tendonitis, and more. Here's the best part. No incisions, no scars, no downtime. You can go back to work the very same day. So if you're hurting, contact Acoustic Wave today at AcousticWaveMS.com or give them a call, 855-563-6100. Again, 855-563-6100. On this day... In the year of our Lord, 1989, San Francisco 49ers won Super Bowl 23 behind Jerry Rice's MVP performance of 11 catches for 215 yards and a touchdown. Hey, Dad, you remember this Super Bowl? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh I mean, this was sort of the, uh, you're getting towards the end of the 49er dynasty, I guess. Uh, yeah. You know, they, well, they won the next year. They won the next year, and then that was, that was sort of it for them. Um, and of course, this, this one, this Super Bowl for me is, is most famous for, uh, for Montana as he leads the game winning drive, you know, sort of personifying the Joe Cool thing of just looking in the stands going, Hey, there's John Candy. Oh, there's John Candy. There. <laughs> I, I've always, I've always, that story always makes me smile. Hey, guys, look over there. Front row, John Candy. John Candy was kind of on top at that point as well. It's the first Super Bowl I really remember. Yeah. Um, I remember going to a friend's house. Like, you know, we weren't really watching it. You had the dads in one room and the moms in another room, and the kids were kind of running around and in and out. You know, it's like you'd run in and grab a couple of chips and dip it in Rotel and watch the game for a minute and then move on. I guess I was eight or nine at that point. Uh, eight. So that was 1989. 49ers defeated the Bengals 20-16. to It was their third Super Bowl. Game played at Joe Robbie Stadium in Miami, which is now part of the Miami Gardens suburb, which became a separate city in 2003. Just know, by the way. First Super Bowl hosted in the Miami area in a decade, and the first ever to be played in Miami not to be held at the Orange Bowl. 
Game is best remembered for the 49ers' fourth-quarter game-winning drive down 16-13. San Francisco got the ball at their own eight-yard line. Three minutes and ten seconds to play, 92 yards down the field in under three minutes. Scored the winning touchdown on a Joe Montana pass to John Taylor with just 34 seconds remaining in the game. 20 to 16 again the final Niners over the Bengals there was no icky shuffle that night right I would have gone another way with this though for me there's a there's a better this day in sports for for this guy anyway okay because he goes on January 22nd 2006 Kobe Bryant scored 81 points against the Toronto Raptors in a regular season game on a Sunday night no one paid attention. How dare of, you? We have a weird, weird game. Was it happening opposite the Super Bowl? I don't think so. Wouldn't think January of 2006. The Super Bowl would have probably been later at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Oh, potato, potato, I suppose. 81 for Kobe Bryant in a non-important regular season game or an epic game-winning drive for Joe Montana on a night when Jerry Rice gets MVP and has 215 yards receiving and a touchdown. But, you know, whatever feel, works for I feel, you. I feel the hatred. It, it sustains me. Oh, no hatred. None whatsoever. Just saying. Mm. You do you. If you think 81 points in a meaningless regular season game is the most important thing that's happened <laughs> I mean, on this day in sports history, it. I mean, then... Is, 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 I mean, did Wilt Chamberlain score his 100 points in Game 7 of the Finals? I mean, it's 81 points. Kobe's 19 short of 100. It's not like he scored 103. It's not like he was Wilt's seven feet record. tall. And it's not like he was seven feet tall in a time where most centers were six five either. Uh, there was no three point line. It's not like Wilt Chamberlain oh was God, a stretch five it. knocking out trips. The hate. It just, just keep giving it to me. It's making me feel. Moment in sports brought to you by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. Again, the website acousticwavems.com. If you're hurting, give them a call. 855-563-6100. How many people are going to be at the hump tonight, hey, Dad? Let's say 5,000. Over, under 5,000. That's where we'll go. I'll say you, under. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll talk to you tomorrow, friend. Bye, bye. Be good. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online, supertalk.fm. 5 o'clock hour, college football fix. Next. Five o'clock hour with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey for the last hour today. Hey, Dad has split. He is headed to the hump, getting set for Mississippi State and Arkansas tonight. Six o'clock tip off for that ball game. Uh, you will be in the capable hands of Michael Borky and friends for the uh, next couple of days as well, as uh, I will uh, have a couple of days off. And uh, hope you guys enjoy that. I might even tune in, Borky. That would have been the sickest burn of all time if you would have said incapable there. That's what I thought you said at first, and I was like, wow, that hurts. And then in the capable hands no in the incapable hands i thought that's what you said they're like god that's a that's a knife man that's a good burn yeah no i wouldn't have done that not not there are people out there that would have agreed with that statement but maybe some others that won't yeah fair enough uh 
you want to be part of the show, you can uh, text us, ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. David in Socher says, I miss the good old days. He's talking about the good old days of the NBA. Dr. J, Magic, Larry Bird, Kareem, Clyde, all the Pistons. I think there are a lot of people that feel that way. But, David, it's folks like you and younger. I don't know exactly how old you are. I mean, my guess would be, again, no disrespect intended, I'm guessing you're in either your 40s or your 50s with some of the names you put in. Because if you said, hey, good old days for me, then yes, Larry Bird would have been there, and maybe Clyde Drexler would have been there, and you'd have had kind of the back end of the Pistons, and I would mention Dominique and, of course, Michael Jordan and some of those guys. You kind of took it one step farther. You say you're 51. So, yeah, I I mean, that that kind of felt like a good guess based on the the names that you threw out. And that was an unbelievable time in the NBA. I was listening to uh, Patrick Ewing's show uh, as I was – driving home a couple of nights ago from uh, from Jackson, and they were talking about the 1992 Dream Team. And, you know, the question was asked to Patrick. Chris Mullen was his guest, and you know, it was asked if there would ever be a group that was as accomplished as that group that made up that team. And, of course, in a slightly biased way, those guys said, nah, probably not, uh, kind of set the standard for everybody to come. But let's not pretend like the NBA is not full of unbelievable stars either. And different kind of athletes. I mean, LeBron is is built so differently, and he's caught in a lot of heat lately, and deservedly so. I mean, it started with the decision and that whole thing on ESPN, and then now the China stuff. He he makes himself hard to like, but when you've got athletes like him and Giannis, what he can do, and Luka, who we didn't get the benefit of seeing Luka play in college, but if you look at pure numbers at his age, there's nobody better at this age, at this point in their career, than Luka Doncic. He's just not a household name, but for a guy like David, if you see the Mavericks on, watch for a second. And you will be blown away by this kid. I mean, he does everything well. He shoots well, he handles well, he passes well. And I'm telling you, the numbers at this point in a career may be the greatest ever. There are athletes like the guys you've named and players like the guys you've named in today's NBA. You may not know about them, but I promise you, if you give them a shot, they're there. They're, they're but it's really the guys you grow up with. I of mean, course. the bottom line is you, you you are nostalgic about the guys that you grow up with. And the NBA was very different. A lot more in physical. In the late 70s through the 80s and into the early 90s than it is today. It was an entirely different game. A lot more physical. But the thing is, the guys are more skilled now. Scores and the size of scores are more skilled now. So, yeah, like... Rules have changed a little bit. And I hate the uh, landing area three-point call sometimes because sometimes you won't even make contact. But if you land kind of where they're supposed to land, you get called for a foul. Little things like that. But the skill level at some of these scores, when you watch NBA games from 1995, which I've done just to see, the game is, for lack of a better term, prettier now, if that makes sense. And maybe that's not your style, but it's more free-flowing and skillful than hard-nosed and physical. And different strokes for different folks. I prefer what I see now versus what I watched back then. That's fair. You don't really have the reference point of back then, right, Rippy? Do not. I mean, you've watched 
like highlights and videos, YouTube videos from. Well, yeah, they changed the rules to cater to offense. Yeah, absolutely, they did, and it's worked. It just depends on what you like, I guess. And the regular season's always been bad, like largely uninteresting. Way too many games. All I know is Saturday nights used to be it. Saturday nights, WGN, watching the Bullseye pregame show. And then for home games on Saturday nights when they would transition from the pregame show into old Chicago Stadium and then later the United Center, and the first thing you saw was a blacked-out arena with that spotlight on the bullhead at center court. That was Alan's uh, Alan Parsons project Morky Serious was the uh oh, yeah. it was the theme music and now the starting lineups <laughs> for your Chicago Bulls Woo! still the greatest entrance in sports history well it changed everything the the modern everybody turns the lights out and plays a video and spotlights are bouncing around and all of that stuff it all goes back to late 80s, early 90s Chicago. They killed the lights, they threw the spotlight on, and they had that big voice. From North Carolina! Oh, oh, so good. It's like chill bumps thinking about that. I know I'm not the only person that remembers that. Because it was the local broadcast, they always showed the the entrance as well, the, the introductions. Like if it was a national broadcast, they might not show that. But that was what they came on the air with on Saturday nights on WGN. They had the lottery. So the the, the Illinois lottery, they would do the ping pong balls. <laughs> and then they would go to Chicago Stadium or to the United Center for the Gibb Bulls game. Anyway, so I don't I didn't really mean to memory lane you there, but Nah, that nostalgia is good stuff. I like I've only seen that entrance on YouTube. I think that was Five, when they first started doing that, I think. Um, but the YouTube video is awesome, and the 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 video on the scoreboard in the arena. It, it, go back and watch that; it'll make you laugh because of how evolved technology has been since then. Was it like the cartoon bull? Yes. Yeah, that's. Uh, it's like riding was. through the city on a little car or something. Yeah, yeah, and you've seen, I mean, a million different versions of that played out uh, with better graphics and better camera work since then. College Football Fix, we owe that to you right now. We'll spend a little more time on this topic when we come back. at Sports Talk Mississippi. College Football Fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out about all that Ford's got to offer, including their line of SUVs, some of the best that you will find anywhere. Ford Explorers, Ford Expeditions, maybe the Escape is what you want. Get an SUV from Ford and drive it like a Ford. New defensive coordinator in place for Mississippi State. Had to wait a little while to uh, get to this point. It was announced officially by Mississippi State earlier. Zach Arnett is the new D.C. He's recently, or he had recently taken the defensive coordinator job at Syracuse. Previously was on Rocky Longstaff at um, San Diego State. 3-3-5 defense. And hey, Dad, uh, when we were talking about this a little bit earlier this afternoon, hearkened back to the days of Jolie Dunn when you had guys blitzing from all over the place. Five defensive backs, but 
Uh, you know, his defensive backs, a couple of them, or at least one of them, played kind of a hybrid spot in the secondary. You know, three down linemen where you've got defensive ends that are moving around all over the place. Maybe they split wide. Maybe they, uh, you know, kind of come inside and you bull rush and you walk linebackers up. But you've got three linebackers, and those linebackers have got to be athletic guys as well. So that's kind of the, the thought. I thought what Haydad said earlier was fascinating in that Mississippi State is going to run an offense that puts pressure on you, and they are going to run a defense that puts pressure on you. And it is a high-risk, high-reward in both instances. Like when that offense is clicking, it's hard to stop. But if you run into a defense that's up to the task, it can look really bad. Same thing on the defensive side. When you are getting after it and you've got the right personnel and you're really bringing pressure from all over the place, you can make life miserable on an opposing offense. If you don't have the right personnel, if the scheme doesn't quite click for whoever you've got, or you got an offense that has just diagnosed it, whew, it can look really, really bad. But it's a fun approach, right? I mean, from a, from a fan perspective... When you say we are going after you on offense and we are going after you on defense, it'll be fun to watch and see how this plays out. It's your college football fix. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. So Zach Arnett, the new defensive coordinator at Mississippi State, These are some of the numbers. First year at the helm of the defense in 2018 at San Diego State. The Aztecs ranked 7th nationally against the run. Gave up 104 yards per game. 13th in first uh, first downs allowed. 21st in total defense. And they got a bunch of top 15 categories over the last couple of seasons with him as the defensive coordinator. Spent nine seasons at San Diego State. Prior to coaching, he was a linebacker at the University of New Mexico, originally from Albuquerque. So all of his coaching career has been at San Diego State. Graduate assistant on the defensive side from 2011 to 2013. Linebackers coach from 2014 to 2017. Defensive coordinator the last two seasons and had signed on to be the D.C. at Syracuse on Dino Baber's staff, but got a better offer, I suppose. Yeah, I saw a local reporter there in Syracuse said that the athletic director told them they matched the offer that Mississippi State had. Oh, really? Yeah, which is big money, 900 k for Syracuse. It's big money, period. Yeah, I would take it. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, no, I'd, I'd uh, do the job for half that. Give me a third. I'm there. See, you're negotiating against yourself, Borky. There was no reason for you to take a, <laughs> a, a you know a 50 percent pay cut and then allow it to be a you know a 67 percent pay cut. Buddy, I've already watched 30 minutes of YouTube videos describing how to blitz out of the three three five, so I can basically run the same defense anyway. Uh huh. Yeah. Very much the same thing. I believe you. I mean, another half an hour, and you'll be like an expert, doctorate level, with regard to the uh, to the three three five. Yeah, I'll end up uh, teaching Mister Arnett how to run his defense. 
The uh, poll question with regard to Zach Arnett, defensive coordinator at Mississippi State. This was our leading poll question today. Mississippi State's new defensive coordinator hire is three options for you. Why can I not open this? What was it, Borky? It was uh, a home run, which was 45.9%. Good, not great, 46.8%. And bad, 7.3%. Um, and there's an element of no matter who it would have been. Can I not vote in this because it's on tweet deck? Is that the problem? That is the problem. Or not vote, but not even see it? Okay. I believe that's the issue, yeah. But uh, there's always an element of this. One, there are Ole Miss fans that probably voted in the poll that put bad automatically, but also the other side, um, no matter who they hire, it's guaranteed home run option is always selected. They could have hired Brian Scott Rippey's little brother and home run would have been selected. What's your little brother know about the 335? I don't think anything. It does but. look fun with the, the blitzing ability out of it because you can come from so many different angles and combinations of blitzes but as you said you've got to be good especially the three defensive linemen have to be very good and also your linebackers there is based on the youtube videos i watched i kind of knew a little bit about it as well we did it some in high school and they learned it from a local college coach Uh, apparently you can run right at it and that's a big question mark is it's really good at stopping spread concepts where teams just have like one back, four wide receivers, that kind of stuff. It's really good at stopping that. But if you have a team that, that can line up and run the football and you're not very good on defensive line and very good at linebacker, that's where the defense is weak. At least that's what I understood and then saw today again. So like the Alabamas of the world, even though they do spread stuff, if they want to line up and run the ball at you, it might be tough for you. We'll see where this goes. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. I, I Usually, Borky, it's the 4th of July before I kind of turn my attention to football season beyond, beyond what we do on a daily basis. I mean, sure. football yeah. never really goes away from what we do. But like where I get locked in on the following year, 4th of July, knowing that Media Days is coming up the next week. This year it's uh, the 13th through the 16th of July in Atlanta. And then it's just all football all the way till this past weekend. And generally speaking, I kind of check out on spring football because I'm yeah, usually it's not that interesting. And all the spring games kind of look the same on television. And you're in the middle of baseball season and basketball's just ended and you got the Masters that's about to have all that stuff's going on. And I'm just like, yeah, whatever on spring football. I don't know what teams are going to show us this year, but I know I've got about 726,000 questions about the SEC as a whole. Think about it. I mean, think about it. When you look around the SEC, Alabama, Mac Jones going to be the quarterback or is it going to be the five-star kid they're bringing in? Is Najee Harris going to be the bell cow or are they going to evolve what they do as an offense? Arkansas, Sam Pittman, 
Kendall Bryles, Barry Odom, Dave Odom if you prefer. Any personnel that can make a difference. Auburn. Bo Nick's going to look different in year two. This is going to be another 8-4 and four team. Chad Morris really going to call all the offensive plays? Is the offense going to be better than it was with what he was dealing with in Arkansas? Florida. Maybe the favorite in the East. Georgia, revamped offense. Kirby realized what they were doing didn't work and says, okay, if you can't beat them, join them. They're going to spread things out and throw it all over the place and new offensive coordinator, and you got a new quarterback. The stability of the last three years at quarterback, no longer there at, at Georgia. Mark Stoops got an unbelievable roster at Kentucky. They're going to be an eight-win team again next year, maybe a nine-win team. Who's going to play quarterback? LSU. How many guys do they have to replace, plus a new offensive coordinator, kind of, and a new defensive coordinator? Ole Miss, brand new, Lane Kiffin, who's going to be the quarterback? Mississippi State, brand new, the installation of Mike Leach's offense, plus a new defensive coordinator. Missouri, Eliah Drinkowitz. What the heck do we know about him? We got a message earlier that said, I feel like that's one of the hires that's kind of just flown below the radar. He looks and like I think that's primarily pledge. because Missouri flies below the radar. They do. And he also looks like he's a Sigma Chi pledge walking around campus with a blazer on. Yeah. He's a big energy guy. Big cliche guy, too. Big rewrite the speech that I used one year prior when I took the App State job guy. Yeah, you know, change the schools, it all applies the same. South Carolina? I don't know if they're that interesting. Hot seat, though. Yeah, you get the hot seat thing going maybe with Muschamp. I just, I'm not interested in South Carolina. Yeah, no reason to be. Tennessee? Tennessee, different team in the second half of the year. Texas A&M, your three expectations. There's no hot seat talk. But if they are below expectations in terms of achievement this year, then yeah, a little uncomfortable. And then Vanderbilt, complete non-starter. Not interested, don't care. I don't remember the last time that I cared that much about that many different storylines going into spring football, and that was completely off the top of the head. It's a hell of a list, man. Uh, Were we talking like this at all this time last year? No! And it wasn't just here, it was anywhere. You knew Tua was back, you knew Alabama was loaded, you knew they were going to be great. You knew Arkansas was going to be terrible. Yeah, a little, a little curious about what Auburn was going to do at quarterback. Felt like Florida was not quite there, but, you know, they were making progress. They were probably a 9 or 10 win team. What they turned out to be? 10 win team. Or did they win 11? Whatever. You knew Georgia was going to be good. Georgia underachieved a little bit this year. Kentucky outpaced what we thought they were going to do. Nobody was talking about LSU like like what they turned out to be this time last year. No one. You were? Mostly tongue-in-cheek at Hey Dad. Yeah, you, you didn't have them winning a national championship going 15-0 and having the single most prolific passing season in college football history. Had Burrow winning the Heisman. Did you? Kind of. Did you say he was going to win the Heisman? Yes, I think to get a rouse out of Hey Dad. Yeah. 
I mean, there was almost no talk about Ole Miss and Mississippi State. I mean, we talked about them because we talk about them. The landscape is so drastically different and more interesting looking across the entire SEC right now than it was a year ago. Like, it's almost immeasurable. Sports Talk Mississippi. More coming up with you after this. I was amused when I saw this, but not interested enough to really dig into it and find out the um, the history behind it. So we have an impeachment trial going on. Did I read somewhere that the only thing they are allowed to drink on the Senate floor is water or milk? That is true. No coffee, no sodas, no hard liquor, no booze, no champagne, no orange juice, no Kool-Aid, no Fanta. Something stronger to get through that miserable process? Well, yeah, I mean, we mentioned some of those. Um... Do you know anything about this? Like, like what the what, what's the history there? Not really. To tell you the truth, I just know that that is what they can have: milk and water. Sentence. Uh, Senate. Hmm. For five grand, would you only drink milk and water for the rest of your life? No. What would be the number? Uh, it'd certainly be six figures. 200K. Check tax-free right now into your bank account, free to use, milk and water rest of your life. I mean, I guess so. I guess. I mean, it'd probably be healthier. You do like milk punch? <laughs> no, I don't think he's offering any additives. No, just those two. Um, I mean, it's frozen milk. Yes, but I think there are other things that are in it that you were pointing to, right? I just asked a question. Yeah. Senators have to get by on only milk or water. Aside from water, milk is the only other beverage allowed in the Senate during the trial, so thirsty senators will not be able to reach for a cup of coffee if they need a little jolt during a trial where reporters have already witnessed at least one Republican senator appearing to fall asleep. That was yesterday. It's a long-standing rule and not just a nod to the struggling milk industry. Recently, two giant U.S. dairy companies have sought bankruptcy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, somebody from NBC News says we didn't spot any glasses of milk on the Senate floor, but that is the only drink that is allowed aside from water. It's a quirk of the Senate rules. However, if any senators need a sugar rush to stay sharp during the proceedings, they can just head over to the... Uh, there's a candy desk near one of the entrances. Uh... This is weird. Sounds like a church lock-in. Yeah, I mean, I just 
The milk rule is particular to the Senate, as members of the House of Representatives are not allowed to enjoy dairy. <laughs> Other quirky rules for the Senate include no hats for men, no children over the age of uh, over the age of one, no flowers unless a senator dies, no pants without blazers. So Borky's son is technically allowed in this place. Yes, no electronics and no smoking. While senators have been caught sneaking in coffee or a Red Bull to circumvent the beverage rules, they've apparently found a way, a way around the technology ban that requires them to forfeit their cell phones. Some senators were caught wearing Apple watches on the floor in years gone by. Uh, won't be as bad as that guy that got caught watching golf while on the committee uh, a few weeks ago. I mean, sneaking in a Red Bull, we get it. You're sitting there. The nation's future is in front of you, and you're watching golf. Although I mean, we're not going to pretend like saying. everything that happens on the floor of the Senate in the U.S. Capitol building is important, are we? <laughs> Nothing they do is important. That's buddy uh, of mine sent me a text, Borky. He said, no deal, don't take it. On the water, milk, $200,000 for the rest of your life. Yeah, I'd take it right now. I know you would. I know you would. I would pop it in an account and let my and let it grow and let my son use it however he wanted to and boom, take care of him and not have to worry about that anymore. Was the two hundred thousand dollars arbitrary? Sure. Fox News reported yesterday that some senator years ago requested a glass of milk when all they had was water. So they added milk. Friend says it would have to be over $1 million for him to take that bet. Or not bet, take that challenge. You guys are crazy. I think it'd have to be over five for me. Over $5 million? Yeah. That way I wouldn't have to work for a while. It'd ease the pain of only having to drink milk and water. Would it be that painful for you? I mean, I'm not that big of a milk fan. I, I think it would wear on me after a while. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi. I, I just I was fascinated by that. I mean, it's just one of those quirky Senate rules that's out there, and there's uh, not a whole lot that. Uh, I mean, I guess they could change it if they wanted to. Probably just not terribly high on the uh, radar screen. I don't believe this impeachment thing happens all that often. Yeah, fair enough. Kansas coach Bill Self last night called the incident after the Kansas-Kansas State game an embarrassment and said there would be consequences once he was done reviewing what had happened. Earlier today, Bill Self said that uh, Silvio DeSosa was suspended indefinitely pending the, um, I mean, investigation is not the right word, but we'll call it the investigation from Kansas and the Big 12, basically until the league office hands down the penalties. Self says it's not something to be proud of. What happened showed zero signs of toughness, sign of immaturity and selfishness more so than toughness. So let's recap if you weren't watching this last night. Kansas is up big late. They are dribbling out the clock. As sometimes you see at the end of ball games, some guy wants to let a shot fly at the buzzer, tries to come up with a steal for a quick bucket the other way. Kansas State player does a little pickpocket around half court. Races toward the rim, going to try to dunk it. Gets it blocked by DeSosa, and I'm talking about monster blocked. Like, full-on, return to sender, rejected, shove it 
block. But then, Silviana Sosa stands over him, taunts him, and says something. Gets a T, it's right in front of the Kansas State bench, guys lead the bench, and far too often we throw around the word brawl. And it just wasn't actually a brawl. A lot of times. That's pretty darn close to a brawl last night, Borky. Yeah, and it would have been much worse if not for an assistant coach that uh, had the sleight of hand to grab a stool out of his star player's hand before he threw it or hit somebody with it. What do you think should happen to him specifically? I've seen a lot of people uh, call for his head, so to speak, get him kicked off the team, which would be his last year at Kansas. What do you think? I don't think he's for the rest playing of the year. again this year. I don't think there's a very big shot of that. To be fair, at the beginning of what you were saying, not that you were wrong, but it didn't appear as if the Kansas dude so did he steal it from just to whatever? What is his name? D'Souza? D'Souza, yeah. Whoever he stole it from, that guy was trying to dribble out the clock. He wasn't going to take a shot. Right. Yeah. No, that's what I said. Sometimes you'll see things right. like that at the end of the game, where an offensive guy, you know, despite leading by 15, he'll let one fly at the buzzer. You see things like that at the end of the game. It's usually in bad taste. It's always poor sportsmanship, but usually doesn't really result in anything. I really, I was kind of like Bill Self. I didn't really have a problem with the first two actions in terms of like if you're going to do one, I don't really mind blocking him and standing over him. The problem with the standing over him, though, that's what led to the fracas. You block him and you just walk you away? That if you don't steal the ball, none of that happens? Sure you can, but there's still time on the clock. There's nothing against the rules in taking it. Is it Bush League? Absolutely. Is it unsportsmanlike? No doubt. In standing over him? That's taking it to a different level. Come on, don't be a contrarian. I'm not being a contrarian. You are. I No, I really don't see that big of a difference in that. If you're going to do the whole... Swatting a guy, knocking him to the floor, and then standing over him and saying something to him in that for an extended period of time, not just kind of looking down at him, but standing over the guy no, as if to say, I'm your daddy. I don't really have a problem with that in that scenario. If it happened just within the confines of a game, sure, absolutely. But like, if you're going to do the stealing the ball thing, I think you get pretty much whatever you deserve. I didn't have a problem with that. Okay. But it didn't appear the guy on Could the... not disagree with you more, by the way. Okay. Well, it didn't appear if the guy on the ground was actually that hot about it. it the, the guy that really sparked things was the dude that wasn't dressed out. Not dressed out on the bench, comes off in jeans and a shirt. Because and... if you watch the video on the ground, the guy on the ground just kind of sits there for a second. He didn't really do a ton, even after the guy said what he wanted to say. Then it just devolved. And then all hell broke loose. Yeah. I don't know. I just didn't have that big a problem with it. I get he probably shouldn't have done it. I just like, if you're going to steal the ball like that... I, you got you deserve whatever's coming to you because it happened to Candace already this year. Remember the Monmouth guy dunked it. Yeah, he gets blocked here. You're gonna. Like, I, I'm fine with the block, and I'm fine if you want to trash talk him. You can't stand over a guy on the floor in front of the other team's bench. You can't do it. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.